This is a Bandit Radio production. Oh my God! Okay, it's happening. Everybody, stay calm. What's the Everybody procedure, everyone? What's the procedure? Stay calm. Wait, 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 wait. Everybody, calm down. Magic number, yeah it is. It's the magic number. You're listening to One Team One Podcast, your unfiltered source for LSU sports. Presented by Courtesy Automotive Group and Bandit Radio Productions. On this episode, we have Nickel State Legend. Cody Warsham coming on as we will discuss the SEC schedules, LSU's first practice, and how much Miles Brennan weighs. Welcome back, guys, to another edition of One Team, One Podcast. It's episode 25, and we are just going to get right into it. Today, we have Cody Warsham coming on with us. It's the third wheel with Cody Warsham. What's up, Cody? What's up? Sorry. It's oh, the fourth oh my wheel. God. There was my, a dog. Beast. my dog, Shadow. Hey, that's, that's, uh, that's... what kind of dog is Shadow? He's, he's an Australian Shepherd. Shadow, come here. He does okay, this all so, day. So th- well, here's the deal. Uh, it just got announced that our first game is Mississippi State at LSU. So that's why he's so excited. Yeah, dogs are are coming <laughs> coming here apparently. So uh, yeah. Anyway, I I'd been hearing rumblings. All right, so we have Ole Miss, uh, Florida, and Ole Miss. Cody, how much did you know about this? ahead of time did you know any no, of this no 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 I didn't know anything about it we've um in fact we've been kind of texting back and forth all day with the media crew and uh I think the last text message I saw was is there any way that we can find out the schedule before it comes out so that we can be ready yes absolutely the response was, the response was no so <laughs> we're, we're finding it out as as everyone else is too well who so tell me what's the process now so you're actually on our podcast right now and you probably yeah. have work to do right no, not really. I mean, th- this is all for, I mean, I'm, I'm in on the text messages, but this is all graphics and video Graphic, stuff. Yeah, we, right. we do, we do have a video coming out, but the, the work's been done on that. Um, like I wrote a script for it. We recorded the script last week. We, everything's built for that. I, uh, Matt Tornquist, who makes our videos, yeah. may have to shift. He, yeah, he's awesome. He may have to shift the order around of the opponents. Okay. We, we, we know who we're going to play. That's been announced already. So I was talking, um, we had, um, it's so funny. We had Brandon Barrio on our other podcast yeah. uh, before, and we were talking to him about the process of, like, how far ahead that they start thinking about things. And it's like, yeah. things like this has got to be, like, a complete uh, change for them because they're, they're – For sure. They, they seem like they're way ahead of the game, but – Yeah, for sure. It's been uh, – this whole COVID thing has been a shift for everybody, but for us especially, um, just takes your whole work routine and shifts it around, as y'all know. But uh, Emily right. Dixon, who y'all – probably know yeah um she, she does a lot of videos for LSU she's she's got a new role with LSU now where she's kind of like our I don't know her official title I think if you look at her Twitter bio it'll say but she's basically like coordinating all the videos so right basically last year it was all just like everyone kind of doing their thing and there was some there was some general organization but now it's specifically her job or one of her jobs to organize all of us so it should it should help quite a bit 
Well, so it looks like with this schedule, they just showed a peak of it on Paul Feinbaum. Now you have to look at Paul Feinbaum for the next two hours, I guess, is what their uh, their strategy it. was. You don't, you don't have to. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to click it off. Yeah. yeah. So um, it looks like, and I, we'd heard so many rumors uh, about this, uh, about how they might be pushing back a couple of weeks um, oh, as wait, a start. Did they say the date on there? I don't know if they said the date on yeah, there. Yeah, the date's on there. I think it's September 26th. Okay, perfect. So Let me double check it. Yeah, we had been hearing uh, maybe an October 8th start date that they could even yeah, push back September to that. 20, September 26th is still the date. All right, perfect. So we also heard a rumor this morning about possible rivalry games early in the season, um, and the Egg Bowl was one that was, was kind of talked about. Even T-Bob talked about it this morning. So yeah. that didn't happen. Um, <laughs> looks like Florida's playing Ole Miss, and it looks like it's still lining up where kind of what we thought because LSU and Alabama really did get some favoritism and some of the big schools, it seems like they got favoritism as far as yeah. not having to cannibalize themselves to get to the playoffs. But same thing with this, you got Mississippi state coming to LSU. It's not like you're having to play Florida first, obviously. So yeah. I'm sure that had a lot to do with it. Wouldn't you think? Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't know exactly how the, um, the, the scheduling side works, but I mean, you think of it from uh, – I'll say this. I was surprised. I was surprised when we got um, Missouri at home and then going back to Vandy um, right. just because we were just right there. I, I kind of thought it was going to be – I think Ross had uh, – Dellinger had reported that they were talking about just your next two opponents would be – Kentucky, your, Tennessee. Right. right. Yeah, your next two East opponents. Is that, that's what I was expecting. So, when I saw Missouri-Vanderbilt, uh, I was pretty surprised. And then you look at what Alabama got a little more favorable. And then some of those teams at the bottom of the conference, just like Missouri, the perfect just example crushed. getting Alabama and LSU. <laughs> so look, I, if I were Missouri, I wouldn't be happy. I mean, and uh, being that I work for LSU, I'm pretty happy with it. So um, it's all, it's all about kind of where you, <laughs> what end of the deal you get. But I, I don't know. I'd be interested to see if they have some transparency on like how they, how they selected it. Cause I really have no idea. Right. So crazy times um with news breaking like every single day and we do a weekly yeah. podcast where we are we're, we're not the breaking news guys um but we like to talk about everything that happens throughout the week but it seems like everything's happening so fluid now i'm i'm just thinking about today um earlier today we had carrie vincent he's opting out right um now all of a sudden lsu hosts mississippi state guess what mississippi state's gonna do Throw the ball a ton. 60 times a game yeah. uh, against LSU. So, yeah, I know LSU is super deep and uh, super talented, but um, just it just puts some things in my head that I wasn't thinking about before well, this day yeah. started. Yeah. That's see, the thing with Kerry, that's the one spot, especially on defense, that I feel like we have the depth to deal with a loss. Um, because Kerry, Kerry's great and. I think people underrate Carey too, because if you look at his numbers from last year in the slot and slot coverage, he was one of the top five slot guys in the country right. by the end of the season. And that was going against the best slot receivers in the country. And he was still producing numbers. So he, he was really good, but you do have some depth there at that kind of nickel safety spot, you know, slot can play inside. Um, you could put Ricks at corner on the outside I think Ray Darius Jones has a chance to show what he can do yeah but you can also absorb it with safety like when Todd Harris gets fully healthy he can play in the nickel um he, he's a guy that you can get on the field and you've got Jacoby who can kind of play everywhere and Mo Hampton Murray's Hampton um so that's like the one spot where there's enough guys Jordan Tolls true freshman where I think they can they could absorb a loss now it's it's now a numbers game because if you lose one more guy 
that's the knock on effect. That's where I get a little nervous. Yeah. And you, you had some stuff to say about that today, Jack, on Twitter about, especially yeah. with tolls, right? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, coach O has said enough to, to make me believe that tolls is going to be, uh, all that anyone says he could be. Uh, yeah. I mean, what is he, what, I can't remember exactly what he said about Jordan tolls in uh, spring, but he said something about how he's like a great athlete. So maybe he's a convertible safety down to, to corner. I, I, I think you're going to start seeing that more and more where you got a lot of guys that can kind of like go nickels to maybe not corner, but like nickel safety kind of role. Yeah. Just playing towards the box. This, I think. this makes me, I almost feel like something just worked. It's, it's worked itself out. And I love Kerry Vincent. Don't get me wrong. And I thought he was a fantastic recruit when we got him huge recruit for yeah. us whenever he came, but you got a guy like Eli Ricks coming in. Um, you got, Cordell Flott, who's already kind of proven himself in his first year, mm -hmm. this kind of moves somebody over a little bit to where you can get both guys on the field and it's not a um, not going to be a, an issue. Um, I heard a lot of in preseason about, oh, well, Cordell Flott's going to be the guy. Well, then Ricks is coming in. We, a guy like Ricks, where he's the number one cornerback in the country, is going to have to see the field somewhere. Um, and it almost felt like, oh, where, where is he going to go? Well, now this opens up to where somebody's going to have a role. Um, Am I way off base with that? No, I don't think you are. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think there was definitely like a big log jam at, at safety and like losing a guy. I mean, you don't want to lose a guy, but it kind of helps to uh, make decisions for coaches, you know? Yeah, yeah I agree. It, if, if I could keep carry, I'd keep carry. Like I'd, 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 I'd rather him be there than not be there, but you know, he has to make a decision that he feels is best for him. This is a, this is a time period, especially where that kind of stuff is just, you know. Like I, I've always, uh, this is my weight. This is my uh, old man coming out now. There was a guy named Chris Cummings. And, Cody, you're probably familiar because you, you've I remember the seen, name. Uh, so, Chris Cummings was a uh, Olympics, not Olympic, uh, an SEC, all-SEC sprinter. And he played cornerback. And when I was in college, we always wanted one time for the other team to be on the one yard line and they throw an interception to Chris Cummings and he goes a hundred yards to see how fast he could run. Yeah. And I always wanted the same thing for Kerry Vincent. Like I just wanted to Did see he, him in the open field, just go. I'm trying to remember the, the McNeese game. Okay. never mind. I'm, I'm confusing people because wasn't it the, the McNeese game in 2015, I guess they got lightninged out. Yeah. I was um, there. But it wasn't Kerry. It was, it was Dante uh, Jackson. Dante, Dante Jackson, Jackson. Got right. a another guy, same thing. Yeah. <laughs> he got a he got a jet sweep, and I was thinking to myself, "Oh man, we're gonna see this guy doing jet sweeps for the next yeah. three years." Never happened. And then I'll, I don't think he ever got another touch after that. No, um, no. I don't even know if that play did that play even count since the game was no. like I don't even know if that, no. that play no, counted. No, so I stayed count. in the stadium for I think five hours that night waiting for the game to happen. And in backstory for that game, my my wife came to the game. My wife, you know her very well. She's Apparently. not the biggest of uh, sports fan, and she's like, <laughs> ah, it's, like it's too hot. I don't want to go out. It's tailgating all day. So I, I drag her out to a game, right? And we have great seats. And, of course, it's the McNeese State game, and we're rained out. And she was like, absolutely not. I'll never go to another one with you ever again. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's my wife. Uh, Matt, that was the night that I got in trouble for staying at y'all's house. That's right. There was a whole – there's there a whole – there's a lot of stories. <laughs> serious miscommunication between me and my we parents. Thought, yeah, we thought you were dead. Yeah, I was on your couch. Not anymore. <laughs> so your wife too, same way? We have to get She's them to a, do a podcast, yeah. Yeah, they could, they could do their own thing. She's not a sports fan at all. Um, she was a freshman at LSU in 2007, as I was. And so that was, um, you know, getting to experience that 07 season in the student section was crazy. 
Right. And she hasn't gone back since. Like she was like, it's never going to get better than that. So like, why, why would I? Yeah. So yeah. And we've known me and my wife known each other for a long time, but one of our first games together was the LSU Florida game in 97 where we rushed the, yeah. When we rushed the field. I didn't know y'all were together for that game. We weren't together together. Well, like I liked her. She didn't other. like me. I just meant like, oh, yeah, there's a picture of her on my back and other. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Anyway. Um, all right. So SEC schedules look like they're going to work themselves out today. Um, I'm very interested to see. All right. So you got Mississippi State. So what's the biggest test first for a guy like Miles Brennan, right? Um, I think, you know, and it, it's funny, we've been saying this on the last couple of um, uh, podcast episodes where originally back back up the season, we had um, Texas was going to be your first test, but it was at mm -hmm. home. Um, so it was going to still feel very comfortable for a guy like Miles Brennan, but the first real test was going to go to the swamp against Florida, right? And yeah. now, even if it is Florida, they ain't going to have any fans in the stands. Yeah. Or at least enough to, like, make any kind of difference as far as gameplay goes. Um, so that's what I'm really curious to see is, like, what's the real first test for a guy like Miles Brennan? And is it are – we, are we looking at, like, an easier route than we kind of thought we were before the season started now? What are you thinking about yeah, that? I think for, yeah, I think for Miles um, – and I don't want to assume that there's not going to be fans necessarily. I think that's probably what's going to happen. Uh, I think if you're just doing the math and kind of looking at what's happened across the rest of the country, it'd be hard to imagine anything else. Right. But I think at least from like a football perspective, from Miles's perspective, um, he's got to continue to prepare as if there's going to be some fans there. Maybe it's 50% capacity. Maybe it's 25% capacity. But whatever happens, let's let's just say that the the train of thought that we're all kind of thinking they're not going to have any fans. I think that's beneficial for Miles in that year one process because I've always looked at this with Miles as a two-year process. Yep. And kind of like it was with Joe. That first year, the, the game is still fast for you. And I think for Miles, it's still going to be fast for him. Uh, it's going to be slower for him because he's been in the offense and been in the system more than Joe, who was dropped in two months before the season started in 2018. But it's still going to be fast. But it's going to slow down as the season goes on. And when you don't have that adrenaline of – 100,000 people screaming, whether they're screaming against you, whether they're screaming for you, it can kind of slow things down. It kind of keeps your, your heart rate, your uh, endorphins, everything at a more regulated level. And so you're really just playing football. So it probably helps Miles, like, because talent's not going to be the problem with Miles. Arm ability is not going to be the, the problem with Miles. Um, it's probably going to be decision making and communication yep. and going through progressions. And so no fans probably helps him with that and speeds up that clock for him a little bit to where he might be a little more productive early. I agree. Completely agree. I feel like there's, that's one thing that kind of takes the, you know, I was at the, I was at his, one of his first games that he ever came in, which was at Alabama. This is a couple of years ago, obviously. Um, and he was kind of coming in that we had already kind of, you know, the game was already, you know, and not in doubt anymore, but the pressure that he was seeing, I know it was a different offense then. It was Matt Canada still doing that offense, but it was just, um, it was something that he just wasn't used to yet. And that's what I don't want to see is him going into a spot like Florida where they're just, it's max blitz all the time. And he's not able to kind of be comfortable in the pocket, but yeah, I agree. Like, uh, so you, you think that he has, um, uh, that he has, what was the uh, wording uh, Ryan Clark said? 
elite arm talent? Uh, elite arm strength, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you feel like he has elite, elite arm Oh, yeah, he does. Hold on. Before I address that, I just want to point out that Todd Polites had tweet notifications. On Love Todd. Time. Love Todd. He, he just tweeted about the LSU McNeese game from 2015 being canceled by lightning. So, there's something – I don't know if Todd – I got said like a, it. A, yeah, I agree. Something's I think LSU is tapping my equipment. I think they may have bugged my time. office, to be yeah. honest with you. We're going to get hit with trademarks. We're going to hit, get hit with all kinds of stuff here soon. Yeah, so. I think they've tapped my computer. Um, no, Miles my, does have a, an elite arm. I, I say this all the time. I, of all the quarterbacks that I've seen throwing the ball, like in that little individual period that the media gets to see, yep. he's had the best arm of anybody, better than Brandon Harris, better than, you know, whoever, whatever, better than Joe. Um, right. I'd put him up there with, like, maybe not Jamarcus, but he's got – like, you can hear his ball. When he throws the football, you can hear yeah. it whistling. Yeah. And it's got real zip to it. So, he's got – he's got a cannon for an arm. Um, the thing with Miles has always been, like, when I would go watch scrimmages last year uh, or, you know, even when you'd watch him in, like, little drills before that, it'd be, like, ten good decisions, one awful decision. Ten good throws, one really bad throw. Right. But – Last year, I saw that go from 10 to 12 to 15 to 20. Mm-hmm. And this year, that's where it's got to be for him. So, I, yeah, I, I feel like it's I a rep. I think it's, yeah, it's got to be reps that are going to make the difference here, right? Like, you know, he's not getting as many reps uh, last year as he is this year. I, I think that might make the world a difference, especially with the ones playing yeah, all like that. He's, he's playing with the ones now. Right. Yeah. It's a lot different throwing to, I mean, no offense to John Trey Kirkland, but it's a lot different throwing a Jamar Chase than it is to John Trey Kirkland. Right, and, and it's not only that, but it's also Jamar Chase up against Derek Stingley in a yeah. one-on-one. Um, I mean, you can't help get better as a quarterback kind of throwing in the windows like that. Yeah. Um, well, all right, so that, that brings us on to Miles Brennan, and this has, been the, this has been a hot topic with us, Cody, and we play a game show called uh, Guess Miles Brennan's Weight. Um, okay. And – We've been doing that uh, quite a few. We had Gabe Fertitta on uh, last week, and he he made the guess of 201, okay? He said 201. So then uh, the the now infamous picture of Miles Brennan came out. Miles uh, sent it out, and you're probably fully aware of him with his back to the camera and looking a little thick, looking a little thick now. And uh, so Gabe quickly retracted his 201, and he said, looks like 217. Yeah, and Miles retweeted it and said, "Spot on. Look, you, yeah. you got it right." So, is that kind of what you're at, at right now? Is two seventeen, two twenty ish? I don't two, think two, so. two seventeen to two twenty one is the Miles Brennan weight range right now, which uh, it makes me feel good because it's the first time that he's weighed more than me since <laughs> he's been at LSU, which makes me feel it makes me feel good because I got you know I. I used I was I'm a former athlete and I always said when I stop playing sports I'm going to get fat. I'm gonna stop working out and be lazy. It will happen, Cody. I'm forty one so, years well, so it's gonna happen. It it ha- at one point I got up to about two twenty, which I played at one ninety, so plus thirty is, is quite significant. Now this I'm should back be down. your barrier. Two twenty yeah. should be your barrier, right? Yeah. Yeah, and so I'm back down below that, um, and below miles. So I'm feeling good about myself and I know Miles is, is feeling good about himself too. He he looks good. He looks really good. good. Do you feel like he's too heavy now? <laughs> he's too heavy. He's got to get back. No. He's, he's, he's kind of Cam Newton-ish right now. He needs to kind of drop it back down. <laughs> I think uh, I think Miles is in great shape. Now, the, th- the thing with Miles is 
You wanted him to add the weight because every time he got out of the pocket, you were terrified he was going to get broken in half. Yeah. Um, he is not at getting broken in half weight anymore. I think he'll be okay. He's not going to be Joe. Joe, like, people underrate how big Joe was. I don't know what Joe ended up playing, but Joe would, like, when Joe was bulked up, he was, I mean, he was really thick. And that's why he could take some of those hits that he, that he took last year. Yeah. He just, you know, he, I don't know if he was a two, but it was a thick 220. Um, and even Miles, if he's 220, is not quite as big as Joe was, but he, he's plenty big enough. He's in a good spot. Yeah, and I don't see Miles, and you correct me if I'm wrong, because you've probably seen more of him than I have, but I don't see him doing as much running as Joe Burrow would last year, correct? No, he's he's athletic enough. You know what he has? He has the Johnny Manziel um, – when he's getting that blindside pressure, like that spin out the back back door, yeah, and spin out over his uh, over his back shoulder and roll out to his left, right. he does that as well as anybody that I've seen come through LSU. Um, like Joe didn't even have that. Joe was a step up. Joe was a yeah shuffle. Joe liked to float to the right. Miles likes to float to the left a little bit, but he's he's athletic enough to evade. But he like Joe, that was the difference maker for Joe last year. Everything could break down. And he could get you four to six yards just with his legs really quick. And that just kept things moving. All right. So my first – the first time that I saw um, or had a lot of confidence in Miles Brennan to kind of just take over the role like from Joe Burrow was in the Oklahoma game in the semifinals last year. And there was a, a certain play that, that – I don't know what, it, what about it was, but it, it just made me feel like – okay, this is going to be the guy, and I don't have any problems with him taking over this whole scheme and running with it. And it was a very simple play where he, you know, it was mop-up time, obviously, and he steps back in the pocket, and you have uh, Rudge Eschers coming, I think, from both sides. And he did that same dip-under move that I had been seeing for the last two years from Joe Burrow. And it's obviously a technique thing that was taught to these guys, and I'm thinking, okay, this – I understand Joe Burrow was super talented, and I understand that he was so accurate, had so many – his decision-making ability and being able to process reads and stuff like that are just off the charts. But the scheme is still there, and if somebody has talent and they're in that, in that situation, before the season started, we were – you know, obviously everything's changed now, but we were trying to estimate numbers and – Obviously, you're looking at a 6,000-yard passing season and 60 touchdowns. We were actually going back to, okay, obviously we'll have a step back, but 4,000 yards, 40 touchdowns? I don't see where that's um, crazy to, because of the talent that we have and the scheme that we have, wouldn't you say? I mean, yeah, now no, obviously that, everything's changed. Yeah, I was about to say with 10 games, that's it's definitely going to scale back a little bit. Um, and then ten games, you don't have the In tough games, yeah. You don't, yeah, and you don't have the non-conference like stat pattern game, right. Um, right? But look, if you would have said before last year, if Joe Burrow would give us thirty touchdowns and three thousand yards, you'd have taken it in a heartbeat because yeah, he nobody was, knew, nobody yeah. knew the offense that was. I mean, the difference of the offense from twenty eighteen to twenty nineteen, obviously. And I, I mean, I know we had opened it up a little bit since Canada and Miles, obviously, but the difference between 2018 and 2019 are still night and day. Um, yeah. And if you know that that's the same, that's we've been battling on Twitter with national people for the last couple of months about this with like, you know, they're giving us projections of all SEC quarterbacks and miles Brennan's not even close. And I'm like, y'all are crazy. 
Y'all are crazy. Yeah. It, it's, you know, the, the thing, it's just that how long is it going to take for the light to come on? For Joe, it was, it was after the Alabama game where it really came on for him and he got really hot toward the end of the season. And I, I don't want to put too much on Miles' shoulders. I feel like it'll come on a little bit sooner with Miles just because he's been here for three years. He'll have been in the system. He's got yeah. Jamar Chase out there. Joe didn't have that in 2018. He didn't have peak Jamar Chase. He's got right. Terrace Marshall. He's got Eric Gilbert. He's, you know, I think those guys can elevate him a little bit. And until he is – until he's completely got his feet under him and it slows down for him entirely. And once that moment happens, it's going to happen at some point, people are going to be like, oh, this is like a thing at LSU now. They, they're a quarterback school. Yeah, like they produce exactly. Because he has every other tool in the toolkit. The, the only other question is, how does he handle failure? Because Joe was so good at, at handling – obviously, he didn't fail at all last year. But the year before, he was so good at responding to failure. At some point, Miles is going to make a mistake. He's going to throw a pick six. He's going to get a strip sack. He's going to lose a game, God forbid. Um, something, something's going to happen. And he's going to have to be resilient enough and tough enough to not blink and just keep going. And that's really hard. Joe Burrow made it look super easy. And it's not. It's the hardest thing to do in college football is to be the guy, especially when Miles has been waiting for three years to be the guy, to be the guy and then to screw up. And then everyone on Tiger Droppings and Twitter is killing you and telling you how bad you are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and they're just crushing you and talking about how bad you are. You've got to come back the next week and rebound. And I, I think Miles has all the tools to do that, but you never know. You don't know if a guy can do it until he does it. And so once he does that, that's when you'll see the light bulb come on for him and he's ready. Yeah, and I've, I've seen so, a lot of talk, and it's people that really don't know. I mean, unless you're at practice, you really don't know. But, you know, I've heard a lot from, um, from Slinger on how they're going to run the offense. And it feels like that – Last year was just a complete realization that this is the way the offense has to be. And there is no back going backwards. And there is no – I keep hearing a lot about, oh, this run game is just going to be something that's going to, that's going to help Miles get through. I, I'm, I'm with you on we have some good, young, talented running backs, and they're going to be good. But we are not depending on the run game. And I don't think you're going to see that for quite a while at LSU. I think it is uh, – the pedal to the metal, just like it was last year. And I, you are going to see more mistakes, I would assume. But um, I don't think there is a, okay, we're going to run the ball more than what we did last year. Do you feel like that it's, too? Yeah. It's one of those things where it's like once you learn how to ride a bike, like you don't just suddenly forget how to do Great it. Great analogy. And, right. and the, what LSU figured out last year offensively was if you – play this system and you have the talent to execute it you make the defense choose and the defense has to choose are we going to gear up and stop the run and leave one-on-one matchups on the outside yep. or are we going to sit back defend the pass and leave out be outnumbered in the box and Auburn made the choice to drop back and be outnumbered in the box and then LSU was like let's just run it with Clyde and they ran it five straight times with Clyde and they scored a touchdown and then Auburn got out of that little gimmick they were doing and Clemson said we're going to put one-on-one across the board and just rush everyone else. Right. And it took a quarter, and then Joe Burrow was like, oh, I have Jamar Chase one-on-one every time. And so yep. it's, it's that problem-solving, but you make the defense choose. And Joe was good enough to diagnose it in real time and, 
and make them pay because one, a one-on-one's not a given. You still have to execute. You have to make throw a, a catchable ball. Receiver's got to make a play. Um, but yeah, it's going to be the same thing. And the only thing with Miles is going to be Joe was so good with the ball and, and careful. If he th- we were just talking about it failure. If he throws an interception, mm-hmm. does he come back on the next drive and he's still as confident in his reads? Those two interceptions, is he still as confident as confident in his reads? If he is, he's going to be fine. If he's not, it's going to take him time to learn that. Yeah, and um, yeah, we had talked to Chris Blair on on the other podcast before about the Clemson game in particular, and he was just using it as an example because um, he was like, you know, we, we were down in the game uh, early, and he goes, but up in the box, we were all just like, we're fine, like we're absolutely fine because we know okay, if you're guarding this guy and you're guarding this guy and you're guarding this guy, then there is another guy that's open. And all it just does, it just takes some time. You just got to figure out where that opening is, and that's the kind of offense that we're running these days. Um, I thought that was a great example. And the riding the bike example, I guess we didn't know how to do that for a long, long time with Miles, but now we've figured it out now. But um, all right, let's go back to – all right, so first practice uh, today – um, you mentioned somebody that I think we're all very interested in seeing, and you've probably seen him in person, I would assume, which is Eric Gilbert. Um, tell us a little bit about him and what you expect out of him this year. Because all of a sudden, I mean, it was like, okay, yeah, he's going to have a good year. Okay, yeah, he's just he's going to be a breakout star all of a sudden. And now you have Jamal Pettigrew, who's not even on the team anymore, and it's just like spotlighted that this guy is actually just stepping right in. Yeah, so I haven't seen him yet. I haven't been to any organized team activities, um, whether it's the walkthroughs they've been doing or whatever. I will go out to practice one day this week. I don't know when. Um, I'm just trying to be careful, mostly just keep yeah. my distance. And um, Have you, know, you been just, tested? Have you been tested? What's your protocol? I, I have not been tested. Now, I've been to you the building. You better stay away, Cody. <laughs> I've been to the building <laughs> – a handful of times and when you go in you get temperature checked you have to answer some questions mm-hmm. you have to have a mask on um, there's a certain flow to the building um, that you have to stick with but basically we have a there's a media room at football ops that never barely ever got used last year and it's right at the front and so I would use it last year as kind of like my office when I was over there and um, this year it's perfect because it's like I can go in that room they can bring me a player or two for an interview. I can do my interview and then go and I'm not interacting with a bunch of people. Right. Um, but with pr- practice is good because it's outside and I can just go stand in the corner and I won't bother anybody. Um, but back to Eric Gilbert, what I can say is what I've kind of heard and talked with people about. They're really excited about him, obviously. Um, the, the thing that's exciting about him is that his physical profile is one that he shouldn't need a ton of time to get used to college football. He's basically, it's kind of like Stingley. He's basically there already. Um, We'll see once everything's live and the pads are on and stuff. But the other guy um, is Cole Taylor, the other freshman tight end. They're really excited about him too. We keep hearing good stuff about him. Um, So I I think they're good at that spot. Uh, I think they're good at that spot. I think both those guys can be guys that surprise this year. I don't know if Eric would be a surprise. He was the national player of the year last year in high school, but (laughs) I think they're guys that, um, the biggest thing with those two guys, Thad, Thad was not special athletically. He wasn't particularly tall. He wasn't particularly fast. But he, I never saw him drop a pass. Yep. Like yeah, practice, right. drill, game, never saw him drop a pass. And the other thing was he was maybe the smartest 
tight end I've ever been around and maybe one of the top five smartest guys on the team last year. Knew the scheme, knew the reads, got the reads right every time. Him and Joe had great timing. And so that's – it's the same thing. Last year's team was so smart. And, like, Eric Gilbert is physically more gifted than Thad Moss, in my opinion. Miles Brennan, at least with his arm, is physically more gifted than Joe Burrow. But those guys were so smart, and they were, they were smarter than everyone they played against. And they made the right decisions, and they were so resilient and tough. That's the difference maker. And so Miles, I think, picked up on that last year. Can Eric Gilbert pick up on that this year? Um, that, that's, that's the difference. And that's the difference. That's why LSU won the national championship last year. Like, Joe Burrow was not physically more talented than Tua Tagovailoa, but he was just a little bit better, just a little bit smarter, executed a little bit better, had a few better weapons around him, and it's the margins are really small. Um, so how, how quickly those guys can catch up will be how good this team is. Yeah, and the hands thing to me, we've talked about this a lot too, where it, we didn't – I mean, none of our guys dropped any balls last year, it felt like. Um, and – I don't know what was coached differently, but it was even from 2018 to 2019. Um, and it might be reps. It might be, you know, Joe Brady came in, maybe had some assistance with that. Um, yeah, a new guy coming in like Gil Gilbert might be talented, more talented than a Thad Moss, but is his hands as good as Moss? Um, because this is where the mistakes could come in with Miles Brennan, where he's got a harder, he's got a harder throw. A guy doesn't have the short hands like a Thad Moss did from last year. You're going to have tip balls up in the air. Things like that are going to happen. Uh, we already know Jamal, Jamar Chase, and we already know uh, Terrace Marshall. Racing McMath, I saw him make some crazy catches last year. Like, I feel like those guys are already in the system and, and, and have the skills with that. But I don't know. The new guys coming in, uh, stepping right into the system, I'm hoping that they can – jump right into that same level of pass catching because I'm, I mean, growing up with the miles era, like you'd have two, two running plays, two toss dives, and then you'd have third down that had so much pressure on it. And you would see guys like Jarvis Landry, guys like Odell Beckham, the guys with the best hands in the world are still dropping catches because they didn't have the reps. They didn't have, um, they, there was too much pressure to make that third and seven play, you know, yeah. um, it, everything changed last year. And I'm just hoping that new guys coming in can kind of step right in instead of have to learn on the job. If that makes any sense. Think about how hard it is to just think about it from the quarterback perspective. Think about how hard it is for guys. Joe Burrow hadn't played under center since he was in sixth grade. <laughs> right. Miles Brennan hadn't played under center since he was in high school. And then what do you do? You put him under center. And then they get to LSU and they have to get under center. They have to turn their back to the line of scrimmage. They have to play action. Then they have to turn their head around, figure out where the rush is coming, figure out what coverage is going on and where they're going to throw the ball. Or it's as simple as they're, they have a one read and it's one receiver running around and they're throwing it. So the defense can stop that or the quarterback's too confused to make a play. LSU just made it simpler last year by back the quarterback up. He knows where he's going almost before the snap or shortly after the snap, as soon as his read's made, he's got options. And then the same thing with the receivers. They drop one, they know they're getting another ball. You dropped one six years ago, you might be done for the day, and yep. now mentally you're, you're checked out. Um, one other thing about pass catching, I wrote about this last year, Jack Marucci, um, LSU's head trainer, did a big study before the season last year on eye tracking. So they put these goggles on the guys and they would track um, – 
they, they had them, all the receivers, all the pass catchers, they had them run routes and catch the football, and they tracked their eyes to see um, where they were strong, where they were weak. And so, one, they knew um, – I'll just say Justin Jefferson since he's not here anymore. Justin, they knew from that study that he was bilateral. So he could catch just as well turning over this way as he could turn over that way. He could catch just as well going right to left as he could left to right. But other guys, you know, were better going right to left, and other guys were better going left to right. And so they, one, put them in positions where they weren't going to be in a weak spot. That's and then just two, amazing. Yeah, and then two, like, they could tell – like, think think about – I'll use him too since he's not here. Think about Derek Dillon. It's the biggest catch Derek Dillon made at LSU. Auburn. Auburn. Oh, he's going left to right over the middle of the field. Yep. After the, after the 18 season, they studied Derek Dillon's eyes, and he's best going left to right. But right to left, he struggles. And if you think about some of his drops in his career, he's coming right to left. And so they got rid of those last year by telling him, hey, Derek, you're not as good going right to left because you're not getting your head turned around all the way and your right eye dominant and your right eye's not getting on the ball. And so, that, I mean, that's a, it's a small thing, but it's yeah, a major it's, thing. Yeah, it's the attention to detail on these, oh on these analytics these days are just unreal. Um, and so and so they were able to put guys in positions. To Cam succeed. Cameron didn't have any of that technology back then, right? No, and, and it wasn't. It was, and that's that goes to Coach O. Like Coach O, you know, people are praising Coach O because he won the national championship. But this was before last season. I was talking with Jack Marucci. He said Coach O is the most innovative coach I've been around. One, and he empowers the people around him to play to their strengths. And if you're good at something and he sees it, he's going to let you do it. And that's true for. Jack Marucci that's true for us in the media department where it got to a point last year where they just said hey make cool stuff let us look at it before you put it out now coach O's not looking at it but he's got people to do that and as long as they're you know they weren't coming back to us saying change these 10 things and make this thing better they were just saying oh that's good or hey fix this one little thing like it was and then they were just empowering us to do cool stuff yeah so they're they're doing that up and down the whole program well, I, I mean, even the higher – I mean, it got – I guess it was kind of a, a joking thing at first whenever Derek Panamski was hired as as Coach O's assistant. Um, I mean, just from his radio show days and all that. But the media around Coach O now, it just – it that's – a large part of that is because of Derek Panamski and the relationships that he's made over the years and putting Coach O in favorable spots all over the place – yeah, same thing with that. I mean, it's just, yeah, he's built a team. And, a, you know, I always thought of Les Miles, you know, he wasn't a great game day coach uh, by any means and probably didn't have the best strategies going into games or anything like that. Uh, great recruiter, great, great person, great relationships. Um, but he ran a very, very solid program. And I'm seeing that with Coach O where this is just a, a juggernaut uh, program that is just continuing to build and build and build. Um, plus, you have now a scheme in place. Plus, of course, the recruiting was always going to be at a high level with them. And the eye tracking. And the eye tracking. What now is, we're doing eye tracking what data. Are doing this. this first no, I, I, I'd be shocked if any. So actually, the guy who who did the actual eye tracking. The story behind the story is actually pretty interesting. I went over to see Jack to do a story on the new facilities because he was involved with some of the design process and the new facilities. You better walk be. in and he's sitting <laughs> down with this, he's sitting down with his laptop and it's this screen and you can tell it's from a receiver's point of view. And there's like a hundred little red dots all over the screen. And I was like, I don't know what this is, but it's cool. And I want to so, write it. Whoa, whoa. So you went in there to, 
possibly write about something different and then you're like okay this is the story right here yes the, the dirty little <laughs> secret is if i don't have a story idea i just go to the training room and i talk to jack or i talk to shelly and i come away with like 10 story ideas yeah. Fantastic. and so i saw him working with this eye tracking technology and the guy who was helping him is a former volleyball guy and he started with volleyball he was a, okay. I think a volleyball coach at the college level I don't think any other college football teams were doing it. I think a couple of volleyball teams had done some variation of it, but I think LSU was the first football team to embrace it. And that was, that was Jack kind of going to Coach O with this idea and Coach O embracing it. But you're talking about Coach Miles and you're talking about Coach O. Well, Coach O figured out, he's like the, think of another coach that's failed, like he did at Ole Miss yeah. and then got another chance. It really right. doesn't happen very often. Like if no. you fail, you're just you're done. Like you're not gonna get that opportunity again. He had the foresight to realize I'm going to get my chance again, the belief to realize I'm gonna get my chance again. And here's what I'm gonna do different and do better. Coach Miles, for example, uh, as successful as he was, won a national championship, won an SEC, SEC title. He had never failed as a head coach before, and so he didn't know his weaknesses because that you only learn about your weaknesses when you fail. Right. And so he didn't know what his blind spots were. He believed in everything he was doing because to get to that level as a coach, you have to have that kind of self-belief. And maybe he had some blind spots that he couldn't realize until he failed. Coach O knew his blind spots. He knew where he had failed. So he came to LSU. And one of the things he failed with at Ole Miss, and he's talked about this so many times, is he tried to control everything. Yep. And now it's the complete opposite. He doesn't try to control everything. He's got oversight and he's, he's – um, He's the decision maker, the ultimate decision maker, the buck stops with him, but he's not going to try to coach the quarterbacks. He's not going to try to coach every portion of the team. And so the result is you hire people who can handle that for you, mm -hmm. that you trust, you give them direction. And it's hard. Like we saw it, it didn't work with Matt Canada. It just didn't work out. Right. And, and people said, look, coach, I was going to fail again. Cause he's, you know, he, he couldn't hire the right coordinator and, then he went and got Joe Brady and Steve Ensminger paired him up and the rest is history. No, I, even with the Matt Canada, I, you know, it didn't work out, but I, you know, everybody celebrated the hire when it happened yeah. and this is the hot new offensive coordinator. And to me, it was like, well, at least we're trying, yeah. at least we're trying to go get yep. the guy. Yeah. It didn't work, yeah, but super innovative offensive coordinator. Yeah. And, and you know, I was a little concerned when we had Ensminger just to come right in and he yeah. was going to take over, but uh, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'll be the first to admit I felt terrible about that hire at the time. Well, just the the Insminger hire, I, I was like, yeah. I feel like we're regressing, and then and I see, was way off. Yeah, like, and see, there's where Coach O found the balance because the balance is he went and hired Matt Canada because I mean the, the reporting at the time was that Lane Kiffin was the guy for the job. That yeah. was before I worked at LSU, but I remember that being the kind of the story. You were with Tiger Rag then, is that right? Yeah, I was with Tiger Rag then, and um, and so then then he goes to Matt Canada. Well, he didn't know Matt Canada. And so they didn't have the the fundamental relationship that he ended yeah. up having with Steve Ensminger. And so then you know, Steve was kind of the opposite. He wasn't the innovative mind, but he was the trust. And so that was the foundation. Yeah. And then once that was built in 2018, he was able to tell Steve, look, we've got to add another piece. And Steve was humble enough and loved LSU enough to say, absolutely, go do it, go do what you got to do. And so then you get the balance of the innovation, the, the, the hiring people and letting them do what they do best, but also having the trust with Steve Ensminger to where now coach Brady goes on to the NFL, he's in a dream job and you still have Steve Ensminger. So it's, a, it's, it's about finding a balance. And 
Coach O didn't go too far the other way. He didn't go so far where he said, I'm going to let everyone else handle everything and I'm just going to do recruiting and defensive line. Because he does way more than that. He still has oversight and he still is he's involved with everything. He's, he's in the office of meetings. He's in the, the every single meeting. But he's not nitpicking at everything. And so he's found a good balance that, you know, everyone, in, like people in our line of work can learn from. Like when we have people that work for us or when we have a boss to, to learn from. Um, we can learn from the way that Coach O's done it. That's that's what gets me excited about kind of seeing this program evolve. Is that they're just they're doing things from like a human resource level mm-hmm. that like is is the next level, and that's why the program's in such a good spot. So, all right, we're gonna switch gears a little bit, and we'll talk about basketball because we we're huge LSU basketball fans. Um, plus, we're we're part. We have a lot of listeners that are huge LSU basketball fans too. Huh? I always say we're huge LSU basketball fans. I think I, I think that's implied. It's implied that we're huge basketball. I don't know. We're still a football school, so yeah. but LSU basketball means a lot to me just because I grew up Chris Jackson, Shaquille O'Neal, and getting to the point that we're at now feels like we're we're about to take that big leap back up. But let's talk about your podcast real fast. Hold on, hold that- on. How how many games in 2016 and 17 did you watch? That's how big of an LSU basketball fan you are. If I know the answer to that question. Um, every game that was probably on television. Uh, in 2016-17, that was the last year of Johnny Jones. Yeah, I still. You watch all of them? I mean, maybe not every single one watch. of them, but. <laughs> I'll tell you, I did not watch all those games. Yeah, okay. I, no, I still. Question. Who, did, who did LSU beat in the SEC play to get their second SEC win to break the losing streak? Was it Tennessee? Tennessee. I was at that okay. game. Tennessee, Jalen Patterson had a big game that game. Yeah. So that's yeah. that, if if you remember that, you're a hardcore LSU basketball. Fan. Actually, here, here's another hardcore core thing. Uh, earlier today, I was just flipping the television on while I was doing some work, and um, something happened to be on, which was uh, it was called One and Done with Ben Simmons. It was a Showtime special. Oh, really? I watched that whole special and just thinking about Ben Simmons and like the talent that we basically wasted. Um, and and the like his just going through the motions here at LSU is just it hurts my heart a little bit. <laughs> ben uh, Ben blocked me on Twitter before he left LSU um, because I you remember you remember Vine you remember when Vine yes. was yeah. a big thing oh yeah I post all the I used to post vines of L, all the LSU basketball highlights and I posted a Vine where I said something about you know that's not NBA defense or so, I criticized his defense and he blocked me. And so the next media session, I asked him, I said, why'd you block me? And he said, said something bad about my defense. So I don't want to see that anymore. I was like, well, I can, I can appreciate that. At least you're, you know, you're, you're honest about it. So. You literally can play defense better than Ben Simmons. Uh, that year. <laughs> that's, that's well, he, I think, look, he blocked me and we didn't end on the best note, but I'll say this about Ben. I think Ben is a little bit misunderstood. I don't think Ben, um, I don't think he was as lackadaisical or lethargic as people remember. I think toward the end of the year, I think he was, uh, he wasn't lackadaisical. I think he was just, I think he was, uh, I think he was hurting. I think he was like emotionally in turmoil because he expected to come in and achieve so much. And I think he was heartbroken. Is that the right word? Like, I think he was just struggling emotionally to cope with reality yeah. And we were just talking about infrastructure with Coach O and how he's got this great infrastructure. And the program at the time just didn't have the infrastructure 
to handle all that came with yep. the number one pick coming in and, you know, the mixture of talent they had coming in. And it's hard. And it's one of those things that, like, if Johnny Jones got a second chance at it, um, like if he got another five-star player at LSU, I bet he would do – 10 things differently and probably let Coach O have a lot more success. But right. it's hard to get that second shot. So, well, we do have the infrastructure now, um, and we're all supremely confident in our commander-in-chief of LSU basketball. Um, the only person that is not um, on board with Will Wade is Dick Vitale, uh, <laughs> it seems like. Um, and so let's, and so you have a couple of podcasts. Let's talk about those two, Cody, because we just talked about okay. football, but Hey, fighting podcast, correct? Yep. Uh, yeah. And that- by the way, by the way, when we were brainstorming names for the football podcast, I thought about one team, one podcast. Yeah, However, did. do y'all, do y'all know the history behind the name one team, one podcast? Uh, there was, uh, there was, there was uh, I forget ago, his right? name. He's in Arkansas Carter. now. Carter, Carter, uh, Bryant. Carter Bryant. Right. So he had, he and T Bob, I think, used to do one team, one podcast. And I thought about just taking oh, it. I didn't it was, know T Bob was available. with him. Okay. Yeah. T Bob used to, to hop in on it. And I thought about taking the name and we decided to go with something original. But I give you guys credit because it's like you, you didn't come up with the name, or maybe you did independently. But if you didn't, you were, the, you were LSU and the name was Joe Burrow. And it was a great name and it was available. And you knew it was great, and you went out and took it. Oh, I, well, I Googled it the first time I said it, and I was like, oh, Carter Bryant did something. But it was a couple of years ago, and there's only one episode. Oh, we're going. Yeah. <laughs> you, see, you, you were Coach O, and the yeah. podcast name was Joe Burrow. And you said, Perfect. look, that's greatness. I'm going to take Love that it analogy. And Love it's going to thrive with me. So that's, that's you guys. All right. So you also have the Boot Up podcast, correct? Yeah. So when yeah, do you start that? Because we have a lot of fans who uh, we actually uh, – our sponsor, Brandon Lejeune at Courtesy Automotive Group, he, he wanted me to tell you he loves the Boot Up podcast. Yeah. He's LSU basketball fan. So, so that's – yeah, basketball was obviously like my thing at Tiger Rag. And, um, and so when I started at LSU, when I, that was the first podcast I did was Boot Up. And so I was doing it really, really a lot during that 2018-19 season. And last year I added the football podcast. And so – now doing two podcasts and writing stories and they've added, you know, I, I do a lot of video scripts and stuff. So boot up yeah. doesn't get as much attention as it used to. I need to remedy that. I really need like a co-host. I've, I've talked with Tyrus Thomas a couple of times. We may end up doing some stuff together. That's great. We've done a couple, we've done a couple episodes, but I need to, I need to do a new boot up episode. Um, because now that the roster is kind of finalized, what's, what's big baby doing these days? Come on. <laughs> like what a, what a perfect fit. I, where did I see Big Baby? I mean, Tyrus knows all those guys obviously really well. Yeah, so yeah. I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll send him a text and tell him to get Big Baby on. All right, we have Coach Brady. Um, so maybe we can help with that too. So, um, all right. So LSU basketball. Dick Vitale's coming out again on Twitter. Um, what What are your thoughts today? I know it's like another thing where it's just like kicking the can. Oh, it's coming. You're, there are going to be some yeah. allegations coming. Um, and now he just looks terrible. Yeah, I mean, I look at it from a media perspective. Um, so there's a difference between being a reporter and being an analyst. And Dick is, we all, as we all know, has always been a color guy, color commentary guy, um, and really good at it for, for a really long time. Absolutely. And he's now dipping his toes in news reporting. And news reporting is it's super, super hard because, you know, I go back to my Tiger Egg days. Like, you'll get – you'll get a story, you'll get a scoop, you'll get a piece of information. And 
information is very rarely concrete, especially in college sports. Stuff's changing all the time. And so, like, I remember I would get, like, a story, and I'd call somebody to check on it, and they'd say, yeah, that's kind of true, but you got a detail wrong, and, you know, the, some things have changed since then. And so then I couldn't go with that story because, like, like even if it ended up being true, I couldn't go with it because I didn't have it 100% nailed down because when if you go for it and then it comes out that you're not 100% right, you've, you've lost the credibility that you need. And so that's the hard part in going from just being someone who comments on the games and, you know, he, he's a coach, he comes from a coaching background, to then reporting. Reporting is a skill that you have to learn and, and, and be ingrained in and trained on. So I don't, you know, the stuff that he's actually reporting, um, fortunately I'm in a position now at LSU where I don't have to worry about, this was, this was my least favorite part of working at Tiger Egg recruiting and then like NCA stuff just because I don't, I don't like dealing with any of that stuff. And so fortunately at LSU now, I don't have to deal with any of that stuff. That's, <laughs> that's for the, that's for the news reporters to deal with. That's for compliance. You know, I, I get to do the fun stuff. Um, but it, that's, that's the hardest part is learning how to whittle between rumor, um, whittle between what somebody's maybe feeding you as a story that they want to put out there, but it's not a hundred percent true like as, as a newspaper reporter, as a reporter, you're constantly shifting through, am I being given truthful information or am I get, being given information that's agenda driven? And I don't know what information Dick's working with at all. I do know that, like you mentioned, he's not been 100% right a couple of times now. And that's when, you know, that's when readers and viewers, they tune out at that point. You've lost them at that point. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to skirt around this because I know you work at LSU. But to think that things aren't going on in NCAA basketball is a little naive. Um, and it's just the thought of him pointing his fingers at certain schools or certain coaches but not looking at everybody else is getting super old. Um, and obviously things need to change with the NCAA rules, but um, – if you're not going to talk about Duke and Zion Williamson and you're just going to continue to go down this road, I don't know why we're doing this. And it feels like a vendetta. Um, and I think that's kind of what John Brady had talked about last week was he'd hate, I'd hate to think that there is a vendetta against LSU and will Wade, but is this an attempt to just stay relevant um, to try to keep going out there and, and putting yourself out there? I don't know what, I don't know what it is. Um, yeah. that's behind this but it seems like there's something behind this that's that's it, and maybe it's like hey the old the old guns have been doing this for a long time now you got a young gun coming in and we need to put him in his place that's what it feels like yeah and I can't speak to Dick's motivations and I, I don't want to speculate either but that's the other problem. oh that's what we do here we speculate <laughs> I'll, I'll leave that to y'all that's the other problem though when it comes to reporting is if you're going to be a reporter like if you're gonna be a news reporter You've got to report on every single aspect of it because otherwise it does even if even if there is no agenda, yeah. there is at least the potential of a perception. There's a narrative somewhere. And right. if you look at the not to get like all nerdy here, but the Society of Professional Journalists has like an ethical code that all journalists have to follow. And you're supposed to avoid even the perception of conflicts of interest. And so that's why if you are a reporter, you've got to report on LSU, you've got to report on Duke, you've got to report on uh, Nickel State, you have to report on Loyola New Orleans, like you have to report on every aspect of it. Otherwise, yeah. 
guys like you on a podcast can sit there and say there's an agenda and you don't have a credible argument against it. And so that's where this whole situation with, uh, with Dick Vitale, he's, you know, he, whatever criticism he's getting from the reporting he's doing, he, he doesn't have, um, he doesn't have that ethical, that, uh, that consistency of reporting to fall back on it. it, And, and people who disagree with him can kind of say, look, feels like you're cherry picking here. Yeah. Um, and he, he, and he doesn't really have a counter to that. Do you, what are you, what are your thoughts? And this is, you just mentioned this and I, I feel like it's, it, it's, um, it, it kind of goes with this topic, which is some of the, especially sports illustrated reporters. And I, we have a lot of respect for Ross Dellinger here, obviously, because I think he's just the, the best reporter of any college football out there right now. But it seems like there's a group of sports illustrated reporters that are getting placed into a box of that they are uh, all trying to say, how would you put that? Like they don't, they don't want football to happen or they are fear mongering with, uh, with COVID. Um, that's been the kind of a narrative that's been put out there because a lot of the things that they put out feel negative in a negative tone. Um, what do you, what do you, what are you thinking about that? Cause yeah. I know you're looking at this and kind of, it's very interesting, yeah. uh, interesting I've, case study. Yeah, I've talked to one of my buddies about this because at first I was I was very hard in the camp of, and I, I still believe this to to my core. Nobody, especially reporters, wants football to not be played. Right. Just in and of itself, because, it would actually like, hurt themselves. Right. We don't play football. <laughs> like reporters are getting fired. Like they're getting laid off. There's just not going to be the money to pay for their jobs. Yeah. Now I will say this, and some of the criticism that I had seen was like. They would rather say, I told you so, than have a football season. And I disagreed with that. I do think, though, again, it goes to how hard it is to be a reporter. And Ross is really good at this. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some reporters who are, are really good at it. Like, I follow uh, English soccer. There's a reporter yeah. named David Ornstein who reports on Arsenal, who's the team that I support in English soccer. Hey, Chelsea Blues right here. Chelsea Blues. Yeah, so um, <laughs> so I'm just thinking about the FA Cup and smiling again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, but like Ornstein and Ross, and there's a million reporters like this, but Ornstein in particular, they're really good at just reporting the facts and filtering out everything else. And that's really hard to do because we're all human beings. We're all people. We all have beliefs. We all have emotions. Mm-hmm. And I always found that difficult for me as a reporter um, when I was a Tiger Rag was trying to filter out um, what's just the core fact that I need to communicate and then what am I kind of putting into it what am I interpreting into it and it's really hard to do now there's also some people who just don't care like they don't care if their personal feelings are leaking into it they're a hybrid of reporter and columnist and blogger and podcaster and they're doing a million things and so they're either not trained in just the pure art of reporting which I'm not either like I, I went to the Manship School of Journalism and took journalism classes, but I was an advertising major. So I'm not like a, right. a hardcore trained journalist in the sense that I like didn't work for the Reveille for four years or whatever. I kind of learned it the other way. I learned more about writing and storytelling and persuasion yeah. than pure journalism. And so that's where, where it's really hard because um, if, if you aren't 100% factual, people will read into it what they want to read into it or they'll hear something that you're not trying to say because you've said something else in the past that reflected on. And so that's why reporting is one so hard and two so important to a country 
And that's why trust between a reporter and his readers is so important because the moment it breaks down, like we've seen the consequences in society at large, if people don't trust what you're reporting, then truth and objectivity and thrown out the window and it's hard to discern like what's legitimate and what's not legitimate. And so with the college football stuff, it's the same thing. You know, there's, I think Ross is really good at it, but I, I saw the other day he made a joke, like he made a joke. I think he called them the yeah. stubborn six or something. And like, I know Ross, Ross was like, he was just one, he was going for the alliteration and yeah. two, like he was just kind of, he didn't mean stubborn. Like, Oh, they're so stubborn. Like he got crushed. I hate them. Yeah. yeah. He just meant like, he just meant like they're the ones that are holding out like they're the, but it got misinterpreted and he wasn't quite clear enough with his joke. He yeah. ended up apologizing for it, but then that's all people need. That's all people need to latch onto and say, uh, Ross has an agenda against college football, which trust me, I know Ross, he does not have an agenda against college football. He may want college football to be played more than anybody else, but his job is to report facts. And there's people out there that he's, getting information from as sources that are saying that you can't play college football. And so right. his job is to report that if they are credible sources, which they are. We've seen some, so here's some uh, examples of people, what they've said about Ross recently, which is I love Ross, but since he went to SI, he's changed and he's a corporate guy. Uh, <laughs> I know. What do you say to that? I know you know him. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know Ross, like I'm not like best friends with Ross, but we've, right we've hung out and um he's been he's been influential in my career just you ever had a bourbon with ross yes yes i have uh one of the finest nights of my reporting night was with ross and scooter hobbs in in knoxville tennessee uh (laughs) when we played up there that before i worked at lsu so that was that was a good night but ross um ross is he hasn't changed um and he's a reporter's reporter one of the other like I kind of touched on this. It's really, really tricky in the Twitter age to like, I use Twitter sometimes in this way too. And I need to, I need to be better about it. Sometimes you use Twitter to make a joke. Sometimes you use Twitter to communicate with somebody for the first time to have an interaction with them. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you like a tweet that reveals something about you that then when somebody is reading what you're writing, they're thinking, Oh, he, he likes, you know, it, yeah. it's a, and it's a bad place for nuanced communication. Right. And it's a, it's a horrible place for it because there's, there's no subtlety. There's no reading of facial expressions. Um, and there's also no humanity. So like if we, if just, for example, we were talking about something that we disagreed on, mm-hmm. we'd be looking at each other face to face and you'd be less likely to be like, Hey Cody, you're an idiot. Like you're an mm-hmm. idiot for thinking that you'd be, you'd probably be more subtle. Like, Hey, like I disagree. Let's take it from this angle. And then we end up having, because of that, a more productive conversation because I'm not mad at you. But right. on Twitter, it's, hey, Cody, you're an idiot. And then I'm mad because you called me an idiot. And then I tell you, you're an idiot. And here's why you're an idiot. And I try to make a snarky joke so that people. And so that's, that's the only difference with Ross is before Ross was reporting on just LSU. And so most of the time, it was either good news about LSU that LSU fans were excited about, or it was breaking news on LSU that no one else had. And so they're like, man, Ross is like, he's getting all the scoops. He's the best. Now that he reports on things outside of LSU, um, LSU fans, they, they then treat the information that Ross is bringing as if the information is Ross himself. Right. And because we conflate personality and we, we shoot the messenger. Um, and sometimes as messengers, we make mistakes. And Ross would tell you he's made mistakes before. That's the hardest part of this whole thing. But 
just because you don't like the message doesn't mean it's the messenger's fault. And that gets, that gets lost on Twitter a lot too. I completely agree. And you were, you were sugarcoating it. Uh, Twitter is accessible, Cody. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm 41. So Facebook is my preferred uh, social media. And then these young bucks like the Twitter. So I've been getting on Twitter lately, but um, yeah, you can run into some uh, hot take guys on Twitter pretty fast these days. Um, yeah. And I saw the tweet you were mentioning with, with Ross and yeah, even uh, Matt Moscona just completely blasted them too on it. I mean, I know they know each other and they're friends, but it was just like, wow, things have just, when you get spotlighted like that, yeah, yeah, you have to be, you have to be very careful about exact wordage of what you say, especially on uh, 140 characters. Yep. And I think, I think, um, we've learned that quick. Yeah, I don't even know if the story that Ross wrote included the phrase "the stubborn six. I think he may have just had that like in the tweet. If I yeah, remember the it story, it's like a two sentence tweet. Yeah, if I yeah. remember. And so he, it was probably like I'm just I'm I'm just putting myself in that position. I would do something like that where I would like a tiger rag. I would think of something clever, the art that I thought was clever, and I was like, is that good enough for the story? Because it's not like super factual. This be perfect for Twitter because it's going to like catch people's yes, eye and it's right. and like Twitter you're always trying to make it shorter and tighter. And so the stubborn six is much more condensed than the big 12, the ACC and the SEC, exactly. which is like a bunch right. of characters. Whereas I could say stubborn six and say, you know, so it's, that's the stuff that gets lost in Twitter and then it becomes an echo chamber. And so Twitter is great for distri- distribution. It's great for sending out links. It's great for posting videos. It's not great for, nuanced discussion it's very right. very bad for that it's not good for debate debates of any kind we've no. we've we've found that out as the new podcast uh in town rarely uh, do agreements yes come uh, a lot of people like to disagree with us since yes. we're the new guys on the block um but all right so the the hey fighting podcast you've had a ton of interviews uh lately um tell us what your favorites or any clips or highlights maybe that didn't even make um, make the podcast. Anything that you wanted to uh, tell us about maybe some of your favorites that you've had recently? Yeah, I mean, I really – everything makes it pretty much. I mean, I my goal is, you know, for a lot of interviews, you sit down, you do a lot of prep, you have questions prepared. Mm-hmm. With, with, the, with these guys, I'm just – I don't even bring notes. Like, I'm trying to – I'll read about them before, but I'm trying to just have a conversation with them. I'm yeah. just trying to let it just evolve and, and yeah and they're super used to question answer question answer yeah you know what have you worked on this off season answer um what are your goals for the season answer and i do some of that stuff but i try to get it to where it's more conversational and i think for some of the guys at first it's like they don't they don't quite feel it out but mm-hmm. for example Derek stingley is a good example of this so this is this this is a good Derek stingley story uh, i hope he doesn't mind me sharing but Last year, as he's he's getting ready, basically we started media training him because we were, we knew he was about to blow gonna, up. Right, he's gonna have to he's gonna have to. And freshmen <laughs> usually don't do media, but he's gonna make a big play. Is, is that still the media. rule where freshmen are, are not allowed? Yeah, that's, to, that's, okay, that's still the rule. That's still right? a coach O rule, and, okay. and there's some flexibility, but that's still coach O's rule. Which sure. I, I didn't like that rule when I was outside. Now that I'm inside, I totally get it because you understand yeah. man, that freshman year is really hard. And like, that's just another thing. Like the media thing for some of these guys is a big deal. And so Derek was kind of like that where he obviously got a lot of attention as a <laughs> high school kid, but it's different when you get to college. So 
we, we do like a, basically I interviewed him for the podcast. Emily interviewed him for video. And I think my podcast interview was actually filmed too. And he was really nervous at first. I mean, like with Emily, like they had to stop a couple of times. They had to like cut. They're like, just start over. You're fine. And I kind of took, I, I knew Derek a little bit. I knew, um, I knew his family a little bit. Yeah. Not, not super well, but I just kind of was like, Hey, look, like, let's just talk and like whatever, wherever it goes, it goes. And so our conversation went pretty well. Now he had gotten some of the rust out with Emily. Emily was able to kind of loosen him up at the end of their conversation. So he was a little more prepared for me. Then we did a second interview this spring and I had him on the phone. And um, actually, let me go back a little bit. After we did the media training with him, I was like, hey, like you did, you did great, whatever, like awesome. After the SEC championship game, we're on the field. And Derek just had two interceptions and played out of his mind. And um, we had, I saw him on the field and we had joked about something that we had been joking about earlier in the week. And I said, are you ready? And he said, for what? I said, the podium, like you're going to the podium. You just had two picks, you're on the podium. And his eyes went just like, I mean, he, he looked, what? I have to go to the podium. I said, yeah, you're up, you're up big guy. Like, I didn't know that. I don't make that decision, but like I knew, like he's gonna get the podium. Oh yeah. And so he went. He went up there, and I was nervous for him, and he crushed it. He's awesome at the podium. Great. And so, um, fast forward to the spring, we do an interview over the phone um, for the podcast and for a story. And he's a. I mean, he's just. He's himself. He's not nervous about it anymore. It's a great conversation. It goes great. Well, fast forward to a couple weeks ago, and we're doing basically it's me and Emily and we're doing interviews with four or five different players all in one day. And that's where I've had all these interviews lately for Hey Fighting Podcast. So we did Jamar, we did Derek, we did Miles. And uh, who was the fourth one we did on that first day? We did, uh, we did, oh, Jacoby. Jacoby. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and so Miles, I had done a lot of prep for because I'd never interviewed him before one-on-one um, for an extended period. It feels like there hadn't so, been a lot of interviews with Miles either. So it no, felt like a breakout. Really, yeah. That was yeah. And so that went really well, but I had Derek and Jamar who I had just talked to for interviews. And I was like, I don't know what to ask these guys. Like I've asked them everything. And so I didn't prepare anything for Derek. And I was like, I'm just gonna have a random conversation with Derek. Yeah. We talked about his favorite Sonic order. We talked about. Oh, that's uh, the nerd slushy, right? That's the nerd slushy thing. We talked about his favorite Sonic order. We talked about, I asked him like, what are you bad at? Like, is there anything that you're not good at sports wise? Hmm. And that's what I, that's what I want with these guys. It's like a conversation. So he's had enough conversations with me where he was like, Oh, I can just like talk with Cody about whatever. And like, if it's not good, he won't use it. If it's good, he'll, or he probably wasn't even thinking that he was just, he knew that I wasn't there to be like, so how does coach Polini's defense look? Yeah, like, tell I me about your technique that. on man-to-man coverage, right? Yeah, but I, but I, I want to know that. But I want to know it in the flow of a conversation. Right. And so that's my favorite part about it now is a few – like Jamar's the same way. We had a similar conversation. Enough of these guys I've spent enough time around that when we do have these interviews, it can get to that. But they're still – like whenever I sit down with John Emery for the first time or, um, you know, whatever, Eric Gilbert for the first time. I'm gonna have to work my way to that. So that's um that's my favorite part about it. It's the hardest part because yeah. I'm like I'm a 31 year old dude with two kids and an Australian Shepherd and like they're elite college athletes. Like we don't share that much in common like in our personal lives. But yeah. I'm trying to find those little spots that we can connect and 
And, it's all uh, about relationships so, at the end of the day. That's what we've even yeah. found with this. And it's like, we just love building relationships and like whatever happens, like it's an indirect um, uh, part of that relationship. Um, all right. One more question for you. Okay. Cool. Cool. We got, it's a real hard hitting question and it came from Twitter. One of our Twitter fans. Um, <laughs> I think I know where this is going. He wanted to know the COVID impact of your trolley ball practices <laughs> and how it's been going. It, explain to us what trolley ball is because I know yeah. it became an internet phenomenon on uh, Hanging with Hester. Yeah, okay. So first of all, Scott, who sent in this question. Uh, Scott Burns, one, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's been my best friend since sixth grade. Okay. One of my best friends since sixth grade. And ever since I've had this platform, he's been trying to use this platform to promote trolleyball. Um, <laughs> he has been very unsuccessful in doing this because I refuse to give in. Now, he's done a good job of connecting with T-Bob and Hester and now you guys, obviously. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and give Scott his wish and give the, the trolleyball promo that he's been craving. So trolleyball okay. is a game um, that we, we invented in high school. And it started as... Um, one of my buddies had a trampoline at his house with like the enclosure around it. Uh-huh. It was one trampoline and he had a bunch of younger siblings. And so they had those like little inflatable, I got one around here somewhere. There's like little inflatable balls. You get at the dollar store. That's like, they're sometimes they're like tie dye colored. Sometimes they're just pink, but they're just like little inflatable balls. And so they started playing this game that they would just try to hit the ball into the trampoline enclosure. And whoever was inside the trampoline had to keep it up. They couldn't hit the trampoline. And so eventually they were like, what if we got two trampolines and, put them right next to each other and you just play trampoline volleyball. And so we started playing trampoline volleyball and called it trolleyball. And we did it in high school, like our senior year of high school, we did it like right after college, but then we all kind of went our separate ways and we'd come back in the summer. We'd play every now and then it goof off. Well, we probably four or five years. And then Scott started coming back and enough people lived here where they decided to buy some trampolines and start playing again. So we have been playing. We've been playing during the uh, the quarantine, and it's gotten intense. It's gotten really, so really intense. It's like a league game now. There's like a league there's, going on? There's no league. There's there's four of us. Um, okay. Scott, myself, my friend Felipe, my friend Grant. And it's now it, it's usually a two-on-two game. It's now evolved to where we play a lot of one-on-one. And here's why I keep playing it. At 31 years old jumping on a trampoline with my best friends and playing with a little child's ball. The reason I keep doing this is not because I'm a weird person. It's because if you play for an hour, you're going to burn a thousand calories. Like, yeah, you're, like I have my Fitbit on, you're going to burn a thousand calories. And so <laughs> before lockdown, I was working out at LSU all the time. I was in the, the weight room. That was where I, I worked out. I can't get in there anymore. And so you know, I, I, I had to find a way to keep burning calories. I hate running. Running is punishment. Um, yes, even though I'm wearing great. a running shirt right now, running is punishment in basketball. I've tried to embrace running. It's just, yeah. I don't, I do it. I don't like it. Yeah. I um, tried to pick it up the past couple of weeks and no, it's, it's not going to work. It's yeah. bad. It's bad yeah. on the knees. It's, you know, it's, it's a mixed bag for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I've tried doing kettlebells. I've tried doing everything and I just don't enjoy it. And so trolleyball is, it's fun and it's just the best cardio workout that you can get. So, so now I'm actually, are you, are you a better trolleyball player since COVID started? Oh, our, our game has evolved uh, drastically. Um, like the, so the, the, the video that Scott sent you, that was from like, that was from like three or four years ago, probably. Okay. So we need one, an updated I, video now. Yeah. One, I'm, I'm in better shape. Like I'm, 
I'm I'm not Jamar Chase, but I'm close um, okay. just physically, as you can tell from my profile. Um, but two, like our hand eye coordination, like we're using oh. left hand a lot more. Okay, so um, is this the Jack Marucci stuff too? I mean, you're yes, using that. Yes, okay. we're gonna we're doing eye tracking with trolley ball really soon. Um, it, it should be a game changer. Um, but like we've gotten to the point now. So I mean, yeah, we've gotten to the point now with one on one for sure. With one on one, we can actually set ourselves up for a spike. So we are both the setter and the spiker. Um, okay. The game has really, really, really evolved. And Scott is right. Scott really thinks it could catch on like nationally. He thinks it could be like the next like basketball, game? like basketball. He, that's he he compares it to basketball. What's that game, Smash Ball, with the small trampoline yeah. where you oh, smash yeah, yeah, Smash yeah. Ball? Yeah. He thinks that we need to copyright it and like start promoting it. The problem okay. is, is you need two giant trampolines. <laughs> like you need two giant trampolines and enough yard space to do it. So already our market is very, very small compared to <laughs> compared to Smash Ball. Yeah, your demographics. <laughs> it, it's but he like he wants to partner with like like about one of these bounce places, these trampoline places that that like are just like what, what do they call them yeah uh, trampoline park or whatever they are yeah yeah, yeah. there's this like what's area that zone place area yeah, area, area, area 51 yeah he wants to partner with a place like that and like make like a league out of it um the other comparison we've gotten if you remember uh skip bourbon's batting cages from way back in the yes, day yeah space is grand slam as well as yeah called. yeah um they had a place they had a little thing in there called Spaceball, which was two enclosed trampolines but it was two little holes like there's a high hole and a low hole and you have to like throw the ball through there and then try to keep it up on the other side. This is much more, um, this is much more like volleyball. It's, it's, it's fun, but it's, it's definitely niche. You know, when you first started talking about this, this, uh, what it reminds me of is that movie called tag that came out recently where these guys just play, there's a one, one month out of the year, every year for the last like 20 years and they play a game of tag. Yeah, um, this kind of sounds like that. Where you guys are going to be like fifty years old, still jumping on. Uh, I mean, yeah. Have y'all thought about that? Like life is sure of the game. Like, every time I tell my wife, like, "Hey, I'm I'm going to play trolley ball," like she just kind of looks at me like, "I can't believe I married." Does you. she roll like, her yeah. eyes? Yeah, that's what I would yeah. imagine. She's like, she's very patient. Now she she's willing to admit that um, <laughs> the only reason that I am not. 20 pounds heavier is that I've been jumping on a trampoline. Yeah. For an hour so a day, you're welcome. A week. You're welcome, so, honey. So that's where she left. And you get a tan, like you get a tan because you're outside. So yeah, for so purely selfish reasons, she, she puts up with it, but uh, I don't know how much longer <laughs> she'll put up with it for. How dangerous is Charlie ball? It seems like, are there, there injuries? It seems like there's gotta be a bunch of injuries. So the, so the maximum weight on one of these trampolines is usually like 250 to 300 pounds. Okay. And we have, at times we'll have two 200 pounders on one trampoline so yeah so you're pushing the limits yeah no one's ever gotten really hurt honestly we've had a couple like feet go through the trampoline actually the most dangerous thing is if you we play on like a concrete pad the trampolines are on top of a concrete pad and if you jump high enough and land on your butt your butt will hit the concrete and that does not feel good (laughs) but that's only happened a couple times with uh with me and scott because we're we're the I'm, i'm right at 200 pounds scott's a little bit heavier than me our friend Felipe and Grant are both smaller guys. Um, Miles Brennan could not play this game. <laughs> Brennan, <laughs> yeah. you know, He's pushing so, it. <laughs> what we've always said is the next evolution of trolleyball is someone who is about 6'4", but like 190 pounds, 200 pounds. So they're thin enough to be agile and nimble and move around the trampoline and cover ground. But they're big enough to just 
dominate. Because our friend Felipe is the best of us. He's the best player. He's about 5'10", but he's super athletic. Like, he's in great shape. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he, he can cover the most space. But we, me and Scott, are, have success because I'm six foot tall. Scott's six foot two or six foot three. And so we have a size advantage. But the, the perfect hybrid is like, um, man, who would be great? Like, who's the ideal trolley ball player at LSU right now? Like, Derek's, I mean, Derek Stanley would be really good for obvious yeah. reasons. J- Jamar, Jamar Chase, what, 6,200? Yeah. Um, Racy McMath. Ray, Racy would be, Racy would be pretty Woo. lethal at, at trolley ball. Eric Gilbert? Uh, Eric Gilbert, yeah. Eric Gilbert might be. Might, Eric yeah. Gilbert's taking down the trampoline, though. Yeah, it might be one of those right. things. It might be one of those things where, like, you know, we talk about like if LeBron or like that caliber of athlete started playing soccer, like right. the yeah. US like, would, would, be, would, like, would the win the World Cup. Ever. Right. Right. Yeah. When when like some real athletes, um, some guys that aren't thirty one years old and you know, yeah, you get your Bo Jackson. Anymore. You get your Bo Jackson to play. When trolley they ball. find trolley ball, that's when the game takes its next evolution. So. <laughs> Uh, all right, we're all on board, so we'll do whatever we need to do to make the game bigger. And we'll get, yeah, we'll talk to Scott about this. And um, <laughs> yeah, so who's the founder? Who's technically the founder? It's all four of you guys, or is there? So, whenever you get big, is there going to be like somebody suing somebody to get? The yeah. Argument? So this this would be like in a lawsuit one day. This conversation <laughs> we're having when we're when we're arguing over money. Yeah. Grant and Felipe technically invented it. Um, <laughs> But Scott likes to claim that he's the sole founder. He calls himself the MVP. Scott likes to take all the credit. But Felipe and Grant came up with the game. Scott likes to say that he was the one who talked about pushing the trampolines together and, and yeah. making it a – So he's a, like the a, innovative marketing guy of, of the whole sport. That's what, that's what he thinks. Um, I was more of like the – I was like the last guy. They added me. Like I was the basketball player. They were like, hey, you come this play guy's with us. Be good. Make, yeah. yeah. And uh, and so I was the last piece of the puzzle. Gotcha. So you, well, were, you were the big like athlete that you're talking about that y'all need. To you be. were the Bo Jackson of the school. I was, and oh, then yeah. That, yeah, that was in high school as I was getting ready to play in college. And so like I was at that point. Now it's Felipe. Felipe, I stopped playing sports. I got less athletic. Felipe is now like a workout guy, and so like he's dunking basketballs. He put, we play on a volleyball team together. He's like the guy that he's our our killer. He's our finisher at the net. So. He's now eclipsed all of us athletically. Well, this was exactly the kind of question that we wanted to ask you. <laughs> we should have started with I, this. We really buried the lead there. I know. We really did. Um, Let's do a second episode that's just just, just trolley all ball. trolley ball. Yeah, yeah we yeah, could do that. Um, we'll have to gauge our listeners and see how many we get out of that. Um, <laughs> but we really appreciate this, Cody. We'll want to have you back on if we can. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, the third wheel with Cody Warsham. I love that idea. So we'll just keep going with that. And then uh, closer to football season, hopefully, maybe we can get you back on in September sometime. I'll get with you about it. Um, and we're going to check out the schedule tonight and see where we land. Um, again, really appreciate it. Thank you for coming on. Uh, we'll let yeah, you on now if that's okay. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. I'm going a, I'm to a, um, go clean up my house a little bit and go pick up the kids from school. So – Hey fighting podcast guys go check out hey fighting podcast Uh, love your work man um yeah just keep 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 going with it thank y'all enjoyed it appreciate it all right so great to talk to cody warsham um tons of info from cody yeah i mean mean, he's the information he's the guy guru of lsu 
sports. Yeah, and I hope y'all enjoyed that. Um, yeah, some of the things like the Jack Marucci stuff that was brilliant. That was really cool. Like I've to, never to hear I, some I, of the I, inside analytics of he it. He said all. he did an article on that. I need to go read that. Yeah, I know. We need to pull so it back cool. up. So big stuff with the SEC schedules, guys. That'll be coming out today, and we'll. Uh, I think we're going to do a little short podcast tomorrow, yeah, and we'll kind of go over it. I'd like to. You know what I'd like to do is take those schedules that get released tonight, and maybe we can like do some predictions again. That's what I'm thinking. I, I just a prediction saw, show. I just saw uh, Brett McMurphy release some of the early odds on the, uh, those first few games that were announced. Mm-hmm. LSU minus 26 against Mississippi State. Ooh, jeez. And uh, what's the over under? While, we while we were talking to Cody, I uh, I made a fifty dollar. Uh, someone on uh, you bet Walt in, during our interview. I did. I made a bet. <laughs> uh, this dude. Uh, so I saw LSU minus twenty six, and I was like, all right, uh, cool. Uh, and this dude says I'd be surprised if Mississippi State can't keep it within seventeen. And I was like, well, I don't know about all that. I'd say some. I'd 40 days out, I'd say my score prediction would be something like 45 to 20. And he goes, I'll bet you $5 they keep it within 17. And then he goes, actually, I'll do a bourbon bet if you'd like. Sky's the limit up to $50. Okay. I said, I'm all in on LSU minus 17. Oh, my God. I'll take that, too. Yeah. All right. I'll, I'm going to so, jump in. Well, we'll, yeah, we'll, I, that's from the podcast account. So, we're Okay. I'm going to double team that one because, mm-hmm. yeah, we're, we're going to definitely win by 17. Um. All right, so we'll do a prediction. That that'll be fun, Joe. We'll do that tomorrow. I'm excited for that. So uh, it's we'll, like we'll live stream. Tangible. It. We'll live stream it too. So we'll do a live stream yeah. uh, prediction show. It's like every everybody needs to stop with their predictions and just start all over. Yeah, you have to now, right? Like I thought you, about uh, editing our bandit rankings to uh, like getting it down to. We'll look Taking at it tomorrow. Pack twelve. And all right, this will be this will be a lot of fun. All right, so check out our. Um, we'll have this episode up tomorrow morning um, for Cody, and and then we'll also have a YouTube version of this, guys. We're actually videoing all these now, and we have a YouTube channel for One Team One Podcast. So check that. Also, we'll send out the links for that. Um, a big, big, big shout out to Courtesy Automotive Group. We're in the Courtesy Automotive Studio currently yeah. at my house. Um, Where's the logo going to be right here? We have right a here. yeah. We'll have the logo there, right there, right over Something. Jack's uh, big enormous head. Uh, the Courtesy logo will be right there. Head. I actually would appreciate it if you wouldn't talk about it. Yes, uh, you're a little sensitive about it. Um, Brandon Lejeune. Don't want to talk about it. Definitely want to shout out Brandon Lejeune, Court Williams for sure. They've been super supportive of us and our podcast. Reach out to Brandon on Facebook. Uh, give him a follow. Um, he posts deals all the time for Courtesy Buick GMC. Um, whenever he posts a deal, you have got to act really quickly. Um, he, he's doing it because it's a hot it's a hot one. And I've seen him where he'll post something in the morning, and then by the afternoon it's gone. And he'll he'll post his picture with the with the new with the new client in front of the vehicle, saying, "See, I told you, you needed to act quick." Um, so give him a follow. I'll tag him on our Facebook page also. Uh, so courtesy automotive group, courtesy Buick GMC and Lafayette. Remember guys, they will deliver cars to you. So you can actually reach out to them. You can do stuff probably virtually with Brandon, um, send him an email. He can work some numbers. Y'all figure it all out. I don't know if they have an electric, uh, e-sign situation. I'll ask him if that's the case, but it's the best, most convenient way to do things, especially during COVID these days. 
is buy a car with him and he'll get it delivered to you. Even if you're in Baton Rouge, New Orleans, wherever you're at, they ship cars out all the time out of that dealership. Um, so again, courtesy Buick GMC, courtesy automotive group. We really appreciate them. Bandit radio, man, bandit radio. We have some podcasts, uh, doing some great stuff, uh, out of the box podcast. Um, and then you have out of my league podcast with Nick Diaz. We saw Nick today, uh, chatting on the new huddle. Yeah. On the YouTube chat, huddle, huddle 2.0 is what they're calling it on the YouTube chat. I, I, we were talking about this earlier. I can't stand the lack of anonymity. Yeah, I kind I, of enjoy looking at it, see other people. See, like, I like it, and I, we're we're on there as as one team, one podcast because we have a, a YouTube account, and I enjoy. So we have our setup here in our studio where I have a TV screen. In the mornings, I'm doing my actual day job, and I'm actually I have like off the bench on or something like that, and I can yeah. see the chat uh, going down, and I can like I can either chat probably from my TV or I can chat from my phone, one or the other. But I actually enjoy it. Um, I like the new feature better than the old feature, but I know there's a lot of, uh, loyal people to that, to that. And I, I really, when the huddle was in existence, I, I would put no, some I things mean, on there a lot, but if I'm being honest, the huddle sucks. You think the huddle sucks? Yeah. It's, it's I like the good. huddle, but, um, I didn't this really is force people to like, stop being such assholes on there. I don't know. I don't doubt, I don't doubt that. No. Well, when you put a face on somebody, I mean, you know. You, you can't be quite as a, much of a jackass as you were before. Eh, we'll see. You yeah. can be. Some people can be, but a lot of people won't be. I think it'll still be that type of interaction. Um, I, I see a lot of either YouTube channels or whatever, and they have like comment sections and stuff, and it is all no holds barred, man. So I thought it was a good way to, to move people over to their YouTube chat. I know it's been kind of controversial with some of the loyal listeners and yeah. on twitter and stuff but i, I think know. it's actually a good thing They'll so be fine They'll uh, be okay. i don't know everybody's gonna be fine it's <laughs> gonna be okay um all right so also check us out guys on facebook instagram and twitter twitter is one team one pod um and our website one team one podcast.com go to our shop page on our website we have our don't be a dick t-shirt we have tons of other t-shirt uh designs we sold another one today it was um uh cocho we sold a Cocho Abbey Road t-shirt, nice. and then we That's sold a, a Cocho College t-shirt in his college days. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's doing, like, the Heisman pose or whatever. Something like that at Northwestern State. Yeah. So uh, got a lot of different t-shirt ideas on there um, that I like to play with. I just um, that I'm closer to the camera than you are. Yeah, I'm back up against the wall a little bit more. I like to be the little – I'm the lounge guy. Yeah, you're, like, straight up in the – Yeah. I'm yeah. All I, like, I laid back. Plus – my back is still bothering me guys. And somebody made a comment on Twitter um, that because I get an, ep I have an epidural scheduled on Thursday. Uh -huh. He said, um, I didn't know you're, I didn't know men can get pregnant. <laughs> That's what he said. Oh, is that Ryan? Yeah, that was Ryan. Ryan. <sighs> so oh, did um, you see what happened yesterday on uh, Twitter? No. Well, you know how uh, that guy, Chris. Oh, um, guy, Chris Vern yeah, Funquist. Yeah, Vern Funquist, that's his account. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chris Marr. Uh, yeah. He, uh, you saw he posted the uh, thing of the Alabama guy, Alabama student. He was like, and someone said, like, Chad or Brad, and you said he's definitely a Brad. I actually know that guy. He graduated from You Catholic. really do know that guy? I graduated from Catholic with him. It's uh, William Aguilar. And now he goes to Alabama? Now he goes to Alabama. Wow. And so, so you really knew the guy. Then Ryan said, uh, 
so I said that to the podcast on my personal account. Ryan right, goes, yeah. oh, so I guess he clearly wasn't uh, smart enough to go to Louisiana State University right, or right. something like that. And he, he was just joking. And then it got personal. And then, yeah. Then Somebody jumped in and was like, someone, whoa, whoa, whoa. Someone from SJA, I guess she knew William thought he was being serious. And uh, he was like, no, nah, I'm just joking. That, that's was, exactly what Cody was talking about. Yeah, you can't yeah, have those Twitter kind of conversations stuff, on Twitter. I was about to respond to her and just be like, I think, I think he's, he's yeah, kidding. He was absolutely kidding. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So I cannot believe you know that Well, guy. There, there were a lot of people that were really shitting on William. So. <laughs> oh, right. It turned into a big thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, it, it's all joking, obviously, but it is. He's uh, definitely if, a brat. If, if it was me that was on there, I would. That would make me really uncomfortable. He was definitely a Brad. Yeah, no, he's a William. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right, guys, we're going to wrap it up uh, short this week. He always makes fun of me because I always said we're going to wrap it up short, and it's like an hour and a half. (laughs) We'll wrap it up short. Yeah, we're going to cut it short this week. Cut it short Uh, this week. Um, We'll come back to you guys tomorrow. We're going to do a live stream. I'll I'll push that out. Live stream of our predictions, and we'll record that as well. That'll be a fun episode. Um, yeah, I'm so excited for this. We really appreciate all of our, our listeners. Uh, we've had a lot of people being very supportive of us, and we really appreciate you guys. Um, keep tuning in. We're going to keep trying to bring you some good stuff. I've had some really good compliments even today on the, on, on the YouTube chat, which I didn't think I was going to get a compliment on. But you guys that are listening, we really appreciate it. We want to keep you guys uh, listening for sure. So, again, that's One Team, One Podcast, guys, episode 25, and we are done. <laughs> One Team, One Podcast, a Bandit Radio Production.